turn your ear to heaven and hear the noise inside the sound of angels all the sound of angels songs know this for a king we could join and sing oh to christ our king how constant how divine this love of ours will rise oh how constant how divine the song of ours will rise our King, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, He is holy, He is holy, oh, praise Him, no Holy 
gefahr Gottes vor uns. Hier gefahr Gottes vor uns. Wenn du gut erst abbrichst, wenn ihr vergaßt, es wird uns. Wenn du wartest, dann gehen wir. Hier gefahr Gottes vor uns. Wenn du gut erst abbrichst. And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? If our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us. Then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? What can stand God we serve. Amen. Why don't you greet the people around you as you find your seats this morning. morning again. Welcome to the Rock Community Church. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. If, uh, if you're new or visiting or haven't uh, filled out one of our information cards before, we would love for you to take a moment and do that this morning. Uh, you can turn it in at the end of the service to guest services, which is in the, uh, in the back over there. Um, we're glad that you're here with us. We have a gift that we'd love to offer you as well as just a special welcome. Thanks for being here. If I can have the ushers come forward as we take a moment to pray over our offering. Again, if you're visiting, please don't feel obligated to give. This is for our regular attenders. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you that you are greater. We thank you that you are awesome in power, Lord. And we thank you that you just give us that privilege to worship you this morning. We want to continue our worship as we lift up this offering to you, Father. We ask that you would bless our offering, that you would use it for your kingdom's purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. We, uh, I introduced this song uh, for us probably a few weeks ago, and the title of the song is Build Your Kingdom Here. And I don't know if you recall when we sang this song, I, I shared, and I just kind of feel like I want to share it again, just that this would truly be our church's, just kind of our heart's cry, that, that we would be God's kingdom here on earth, that he would just build us up and use us for his kingdom's purpose. Amen? Amen. All right. 
you don't have to clap for this song, and you don't have to stand for this song, <laughs> but it's kind of one of those types of songs that you almost kind of want to. At least that's, you know, maybe a recommendation of mine. <laughs> Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil while we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. And we are your church. We need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives. For your our joy and prize. To see the captive's heart release, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church, and we are your church. We pray revive this earth. Build your kingdom. Build your kingdom here, let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand, heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire, will this nation back? Change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here. Unleash your kingdom's power. Unleash your kingdom's power. Reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop. Your beauty changing hearts. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom seed in us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ. And we are your church. We are the hope and honor. Build your kingdom. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand, heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire, when this nation back. Change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here. We pray. Why, one more time, build your kingdom. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. 
video that we'd like to show you if you can draw your attention to the big screen over there. Have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help and I learned how to handle money his way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University, because God's ways work. Whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now, if you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, if you're 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been through Financial Peace University. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come and give like crazy your success story your financial peace is up to you now is your time it's time to take control of your money it's time to get ready for what God has for you it's time for financial peace morning. We're uh, John and Kathy Strobel, and we're part of Family Ministries, and uh, we're actually going to be putting on a class, Dave Ramsey, starting next Sunday from 3 to 5, and it's up in building, or excuse me, room 210. So 3 to 5, there will be child care available. As Dave mentioned, 21 to 61, we've actually had our daughter take it at 11, so looks like everybody qualifies in the room. So... <laughs> Why would you do this? Obviously, if there's too much month at the end of your money, you haven't figured out, hey, how am I going to retire financially? A lot of credit card debt, those kinds of things. So we look forward to seeing you there. Again, there's child care available. It's, in the, uh, excuse me, it's next Sunday, the 15th, 3 to 5, room 210, and you can sign up online. Volunteers. Thank you. What a great job. What a great job. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks, huh? Thank you so much. Oh, I knocked over his glasses. Oh, his pen. Well, listen, the last two weeks. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being here. It is very, very, it's so wonderful to see you here. It is so wonderful to see you here. I love you very much. Last uh, two weeks, we've talked about marriage, having a uh, classes on, on marriage, and now uh, classes on finances. L look, there's nothing more important within our lives as believers, for those of us who are married, than, than a wonderful marriage. 
And there's nothing more important in our lives as believers as caring for our finances. I mean, I told you before that I used to go to seminars uh, for the professional athletes. When I worked with, in a ministry with professional athletes before I got in ministry in the church. And uh, th- we would have conferences every year. In each of our conferences, three conferences a year with these athletes, it would always be something on marriage and there would always be something on their finances to help them deal with their uh, their condition as far as financially because these guys all of a sudden started making more money than you could even they could ever dreamt of. Uh, I was in the ministry before they were making huge amounts of money, although it's huge amounts of money for most of us, but then all of a sudden they've been they made more money than they could ever dream of. I had one guy call me one time, I'll tell you where he played for, that's all I'll tell you about him. He played with Kansas City Royals. And I got to know him uh, through ministry. And he signed a million-dollar contract. He signed, a, I think it was a five-year, five-million-dollar contract, which now is just minimal for the guys in the big leagues. But he didn't know what to do with all of that. He wanted security for his family. He wanted all of that. And all of a sudden, he became frightened. He didn't know what to do with his life. He did, thought that was too much money. Uh, I mean, it, it, it overwhelmed him, and he wanted to quit. He actually wanted to quit refuse the money and just get away from baseball. It, that, it bothered him that much. And I, I had a chance to tell him that, that this was God's dealing in his life, allowing him to receive this kind of uh, a money to find out what would he do with it. How would it, how would it affect his life? How would it impact others that he got to know? And, and, and how would he use that money to benefit not only his family, but, his, but the Lord's work throughout the world? I remember uh, a family that I uh, so admired when I was pastoring over at Yorba Linda Friends Church. It was the Marshburn family. And uh, uh, Frank Marshburn, uh, who was the, uh, the pillar of that church, when I went over to Yorba Linda, he had been there along with his wife for so many years. And he had told me a lesson that he learned early in his life about giving unto the Lord. And he said that uh, when he first started their Marshburn Farms, uh, which became a multi-million dollar business, they, and the, the sons and he gave about 10% of their money to the Lord faithfully, right off the very top. And they were very proud of that, that they gave right off the top. And before they were through with their business, they were giving 90% of their money into the Lord. They were keeping 10% right off the top for themselves and giving the rest unto the Lord. And they made more money than they ever dreamt they could make. And, and they were building churches all over the world. Not, over, not just churches in the United States of America. They were building churches all over the world. And they were doing so many great things. And when they sold their business, there was a, a company that wanted to, to take over their business, seeing that their books, seeing that these guys are giving away 90% of their money. Figuring, just imagine how much money they could make off of it. And they bought their business. And two years later, the the, the the ground that they were growing, all the, the, the fruit and all their vegetables on gave up and, and didn't grow back the, the land. And these people became, as I understand it, I don't know all of this is all true, but I think it is. This, the people that bought over their company became broke. You see, the Lord sustained them. The Lord allowed them to have all of that. And that if you learn nothing else from all, all that you will learn about dealing with your finances, if you learn that it is not yours, but it is on the Lord's money that you're dealing with, you will learn a great, great lesson. The second thing I think you can learn on that, hi, Diane, love you so much. Hey, there's somebody following you, be careful. 
<laughs> the next thing you can learn that is so critical in all of that is uh, try not to try as best you can to get out from under all uh, debt. Just to try to do that. It, it is. Um, it'll be so helpful to you. Anyways. It is, I think, critical for us as a church that we're doing that. We're really, it's really good that we found this our home, and we can now start doing things like that, where we can have classes here and, 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 and help teach one another all that we know and, and learn about the Lord. I, I want you to turn with me. Today we're going to have communion. I made a, a promise to you that I would put in my notebook, my brain, which is my notebook, that we would have communion more often, and, and we're going to have communion today. And the way we're going to have communion today is at the end of the service, I'm going to uh, kind of tell you about communion. I'm going to tell you about the importance of it, but then I'm going to leave it up to you to take communion. In other words, you'll be able to come up on your own as a family or individually, or if you don't feel at this time that you want to come to communion, uh, you don't have to. But we will leave it open for you to come and have communion on your own as a family. Last night, uh, uh, there was a family sitting right over here at their two daughters came up and gave me a hug right after the service and, and I asked them if I could have communion with their family and I did and it was so precious. It was so, um, the, the Father led us through communion and uh, I just was so, so blessed to do that. And so we'll have communion after this service and so I want you to think about it as we're going through it. And Paul now is driving home the whole idea about salvation. He's driving home the point of faith. And he comes to a place in Scripture that is, is critical for us to understand. Uh, understanding that he, what he has been teaching all along, that, that, that salvation is by faith and faith alone. He has been teaching this all along. And, and now Paul drives home the point that, that it is God's sovereign will that moves within your life, but uh, added with that is man's free will, man's choice. It's really interesting to me, you might ask, what kind of a church are we? What, what is our philosophy? What do we hold as a, a policy as a church? Well, we are by basic reference, if you wanted to put a name to it, we would be a Reformed church. By that means we believe that God is sovereign over all. And two of uh, the people that I trust the most in, in, that, in that whole idea of, of Reformed theology would be John MacArthur and, and Dr. J. Vernon McGee. John MacArthur is a little more hardcore than Dr. J. Vernon McGee, but both of them have the same belief system that God is sovereign. He is over all. And yet both of them come to the same agreement here in Romans chapter 9. And that is that, that, that there, is a, there is a connection between our free will, our faith, and God's sovereignty that must meet. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting theological position because... Um, because of, of what and how they teach it. And so I want to pre present this to you this morning. I want to present to you both sides so that, that we can have a freedom to understand and believe as we so will about what we would love to do with our, our faith. And so I want to read with you, please, these three verses, or actually four, 30, 31, 32, and 33. I want to start well, with verse 29 to remind us what we were talking about Paul wrote in verse 29, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a prosperity. In other words, left us a remnant, a seed. Unless there was some left within the Jewish faith, we would have become as Sodom, he said. We would have resembled Gomorrah. 
And then he asks another rhetorical question. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. Therefore they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Of course, verse 33 is talking about back when Isaiah predicted there was a coming Messiah that was going to come to this world, this earth in which we live. And don't stumble over him. Don't miss him. Because those of us who believe in him, he says, will not be disappointed. I think it's important for me to say before we go into prayer, this not being disappointed doesn't mean that once you come to Christ that everything is going to be a, a bed of roses. No, on the contrary, we will all go through trials. Part of life is trials. What what Paul is saying, what the scriptures teach, is that to come to Christ, you will never ever be disappointed because eternally you will be secure in who you are in Christ Jesus. And that's what I want to teach us more than anything else on the face of this earth. As a matter of fact, today is September the 8th. The year is 2013. When we, receive, when we get to the end of this message, we will be about, oh, it will be approximately... 10.05. And we'll leave about 10 minutes for you to have communion. And at 10.05 on this day, September the 8th, the year 2013, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg of you to consider him as your Savior. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to make you into the type of person that he has created you to be anyways. And for those of us who know him on this day, September the 8th, the year 2013, that we would be serious about what we believe. That we will walk the face of this earth as people who are unashamed of our Lord and Savior. That we would walk righteously with Him all the days of our lives as, as, as best we can. Now, in 1 John 1.9, there is written a verse that is written to believers. If you confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is, not a, that is not a verse for unbelievers. That was a verse written to those of us who believe. Our Lord realizes and recognizes that you and I will fall short of His glory. We will fall short of all that we ought to be as believers in Christ. But He has given us a way to cleanse ourselves, to be, be forgiven of our sins over and over and over again so that we can walk righteously with him all the days of our lives. And so I'm begging of you to consider which side of, the, which side of this scenario are you? Have you come to trust in Christ? Do you know for certain that he is your Lord and Savior? If so, praise God. Then walk with him all the days of your life. If you're not certain, this day, September the 8th, the year 2013, ought to be the day that you make your, your peace with God, come to know and trust in Him. Father, I pray that you will set the tone for this message, that you will move me aside so that I do not interfere with this most important of messages, and that is a message on true salvation, salvation which comes through faith 
and faith alone in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, dear God, as only you can. Move me aside so I do not interfere with this. And, Lord, would you bless every single person here. Please bless not only their lives, but their mates, their families, their loved ones. Father, every every part of their being, every part of their lives, their, their, their workplace, their friends, their family, all of these things, Father, would you please bless them. And Lord, we want to thank you for this privilege of gathering together now in this place at this time. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, how often must Paul address this issue? I mean, uh, you think I beat something to death. Paul has been beating this to death now for the last few chapters. He wants us to fully understand that our life in Christ, our life as believers in Jesus Christ, is all about faith. And he doesn't want us to miss that. By his own sovereign statement, the Lord graciously offers salvation to become effective only when we willingly receive by faith his, his Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. As we can read again in verses 30 through 32, mankind's works, all the things that you do to appease God, has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. It has everything to do with how we live our lives as believers. But what you do does not make you a believer. It is your faith that matters. To think of salvation in regard to our doing it on our own, that is by our own works, our our own achievements, makes us, as he says in verse 32, stumble over the very essence of Christianity. The very essence of your and my faith, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is called by Paul the stumbling stone. Don't miss him. In regards to salvation, Paul teaches there is both divine sovereignty, God's call upon your life, and human responsibility, which is your and my faith. Both are clearly taught in God's word. As Paul teaches, if one is emphasized to the exclusion of the other, then the gospel is invariably perverted. You can't do that. By his own determination, God will not save a person who does not believe in Jesus Christ as his son, period. Now, now, as God would do, and he always seems to do this to me, when I'm studying something like this, and, and what I do is I try to study during the whole week, and I get my message down to where it's all done by usually Thursday night, if not for sure Friday during the afternoon. Otherwise, I start to panic. I, I'm wondering what's going on. I, I should be done by now. And when I'm done by then, I I put it aside, and then when I wake up Saturday morning, I I brush my teeth, I wash my face, and I walk right into my office, and I open up my message, and I then start to work on it, massage it, kind of make it my own. And I'm doing that, and it's about 10 in the morning, and I've been at it from now since about, oh, let's say 6.30 or so. And the doorbell rings. And I walk out, and I look down the hall, and it's obviously... Some, it's either Mormons 
or Jehovah's Witnesses. It's one or the other. I mean, you can tell. I can tell. I've, there's, they've been over enough that I recognize. Not them personally, but I, I, I recognize. And so I go to the door and I think, ah, oh, I don't have the time right now. What am I going to do? And I open up the door and lo and behold, two very beautiful young women. Uh, very, very, uh, just very wonderful. Uh, standing there with two of their daughters, a, a, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And I went, oh my gosh. I said, uh, you have your children with you? And they said, oh yes, we want them to hear. And I said, no, you, you don't want them to hear. And uh, they said, what do you mean? And I said, uh, with all due respect, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, we are too. And I said, no. I said, uh, why don't you have the little girls go and play on the lawn? And they said, no, we want them to hear everything. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I said, uh, you are paddling in this neighborhood, and every neighborhood you go into a lie from the very pit of it, pit of hell. And they looked at me in shock. And I said, wait a moment, would you please? I'll be right back. I went and got my Bible, and I got this old thing that I, I use all the time, and I, I said, uh, let's take a look at it. I said, would you look with me at 1 John 5.20? And 1 John 5.20 is a very, very penetrating verse that I, I gave to these dear ladies to leave, read. And they had their own Bibles, which is... I was, I was credited to them to do that. And in 1 John 5.20 it says, without question, it says, we know that the Son of God has come. And we know the Son of God has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. I said, who is it speaking of there? And they said, well, Jesus Christ. And I said, good, you're absolutely correct. We know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. I said, the next word is this. That word in the Greek language must refer back to the last noun. It must refer back to Jesus. It cannot refer to anybody else in all of Scripture. It can only refer back to Jesus Christ. It says, this is the true God and eternal life. I said, what do you think that says to you? Well, it, it, was, very, it was very uncomfortable for a few minutes on the porch. Uh, they didn't know where to turn on that. So they asked me to go somewhere else where, where Jesus calls God the Father. And I said, of course he calls him his Father. I said, don't you know in the book of Philippians that he humbled himself. He, he took aside, Jesus did all of his deity and he became a man, a man on this earth so that he might die on the cross for our sin. I says, if he were God on earth and you nailed him to the cross, he would still be there alive. He wouldn't have died. God could not die. He had to become a man to die. And so we talked it through. And then I took him to John chapter 10 where, where Jesus said, the, 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 the religious people of the day asked him, would, would you tell us plainly, who are you? And he says, I've already told you, but you don't listen. And I said, you two are not listening. And you're leading your, your daughters astray and you're leading so many people astray that, that it is, it, it's going to be difficult on you. And so I went, took him through that where Jesus said all of these things and then he said, I and the Father are one. And I said, what do you think he meant by that? And of course they, they said a couple of things and then, then it says, and Jesus, they picked up stones, they, the, 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 the people that were listening to Jesus at that time, picked up stones to stone him and he asked them, why do you want to stone me? Because of, of what I of the things that I have done? And they said, no, we, we, we want to stone you because what you just said, you, make, you being a man, 
have just made yourself out to be God. I said, everybody understands who Jesus is, and why don't you? And so we, we talked it through, and I, I don't know what happens in their life. I, I, I bid them well. Uh, actually, I don't ever say bless you or do that. I just bid them go, and I asked them to stay out of our neighborhood, leave these dear people alone. They don't need to hear their lies. Uh, they didn't like that I say that, but I... I want them to think. I told them, take aside all of your religion and go home and read your Bible and see who Jesus Christ truly is. And that's what I'm asking you and me this morning. The book of Acts tells us this, the fourth chapter, the twelfth verse, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you and I must be saved. Jesus Christ himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and nobody, nobody comes to the Father but through me, says Jesus Christ. And so a person, person must hear those things. We cannot save ourselves simply by the act of our own will, our own work, our own deeds, no matter how sincere, no matter how heartfelt you might believe that you are. You can't do it on your own. The reason being that you and I cannot do it on our own is the Bible also teaches by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you and I are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Before we come to Christ, we are dead. That word dead there means unable to respond. We cannot respond. We are unable. God has to move in your and my life. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. But a few verses later, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, two of the most wonderful words in all of Scripture, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love by which he has loved you and me, when we were dead, dead in our transgressions, he has made us alive together with Christ by grace you and I have been saved. In God's sovereign order, both His gracious provision, making us alive together with Christ, and the exercise of your and my free will are required in salvation. And, and, and I've, I've heard the argument on every side, but Dr. J. Vernon McGee and Dr. John MacArthur both agree there is a call of man and there is a response by man. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus summoned the crowd and with his disciples he said to them, if anyone, if anyone wishes to come after me, he says, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's an act of our will. That's a decision that we would make to take up the cross and follow our Lord. That's what I'm begging for you this morning. For those of us here who know the Lord, I'm begging for you and me this morning to take up this cross and follow him daily. He tells us in verse 33 of this place in Scripture, Romans chapter 9, if you do so, you will not be disappointed. That's a promise by the word of God. And then in John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives to me, that's the call of God upon your life and my life. Now listen, all that the Father gives to me, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. That is the will of man. 
Both Dr. McGee and MacArthur teach this clearly. There is both the call of God and the will of man that meets somewhere. And they say, like many other revelations within Scripture, those two truths, God's choice, man's free will, cannot be fully harmonized through reason. They can only be accepted by faith. That's why we taught a few weeks ago in, in, in I think it's, it's, it's Isaiah 55, where it says in verses 8 and 9, God's ways are higher than our ways. We, we will never be able to completely and totally understand all that he is. We've got to take him by his word, and we've got to take him by faith. So Paul teaches in verses 30, 31, and 32. Let's read them again, critically too important to understand. Not, maybe not for you, because already you know the Lord, but it's critical for you to understand so that if people come and talk to you, you'll be able to talk them through this whole idea of salvation and not stumble over the very essence of who Christ is in your own life. He says in verse 30, what shall we say then? In other words, look at talking to the Jewish people, what should we say? The Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, they attained righteousness. How? The righteousness which is by faith. They came to trust in Christ and they received the very salvation that the Jews had claimed all those years. But Israel, he says in verse 31, you, the nation of Israel, he said, pursuing a law of righteousness, you didn't arrive at that law. Why? What was the problem? Because you did not pursue it by faith. You came to try to believe in it as though it were by works, as though you could work your way there. Therefore, Paul said to the Jewish people, you have stumbled over the, sum, the stumbling stone. That's Jesus. In other words, because you try to get to heaven on your own, you end up missing the st and stumbling over Jesus. Paul is clearly stating that a human requirement for salvation has always been the only means of obtaining righteousness. And righteousness only comes to you and me through Christ and our faith and trust in Him. It's necessary. It's essential for salvation. It's never varied. It was that way with Cain and Abel. I mean, Cain came to the Lord with his own offering. God had already told Cain, Abel, Adam and Eve how they were to come to him, how they were to sacrifice blood so as for the forgiveness of sin. And Cain brought the fruit of the ground, which had no blood in it whatsoever. And God says, I have no regard for your gift, Cain. You need to do what is right. You need to do what I have told you to do. Do as your brother has done. Bring me an animal. It's been that way forever. One of the key words in this, if you'll note, in verses 30, 31, and 32, there is one word that ought to just, just pound at you. It ought to just, just glare at you. It's the word pursue. It, 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 when you read something like that, like in verse 30, what shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue the righteousness, they obtained it. Verse 31, but Israel, they pursued the law of righteousness, but they didn't arrive at it. Why? Verse 33, because they didn't pursue it by faith. Pursue, pursue, pursue. The word pursue, used in verses 30, 31, and 32, makes Paul's point. It's from the Greek word, D-I-O-K-O. You've got to know it because it means to run swiftly after something. It means to seek 
earnestly a desired goal or object. The implication is that the Jews did not pursue after Christ. They thought that they could stand on their own works, their own nationality, and that would be enough to make them right with God. God says, you've got to pursue me. You've got you to run after me. Come to me, he says. They did not pursue the righteousness which came by faith. They did not seek after God through his son Jesus Christ with earnest, is what he is telling them. Instead, they relied on their birthright. They relied on their so-called good works. They relied on their obedience. And with that, they tried to win favor with God on their own merit. Have any of you done that? The truth of the matter is no person on the face of this earth has ever been saved at any time, Old or New Testament, on any other basis other than faith. Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, you might want to read it sometimes. We won't read it right now. It's a little bit long. But read Hebrews chapter 11 someday. It's, a, it's called the chapter of the hall of faith of, of Christians. From Abel to the prophets, they all, it says in verse 39, I'll read you verse 39, they all gained God's approval through or because of their faith. Faith. It's been that way forever. And Paul establishes that truth using Abraham and David as his example. He said Abraham was the father of all who believed by faith. He was saved by his faith. Abraham was. And because of Abraham's faith, God reckoned to him righteousness. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Listen, Jew or Gentile, atheist or religious, no matter who you are, no matter what you might believe, one of the greatest obstacles to salvation is one being self-righteous, thinking, I've got all the answers on my own. I don't need it. I'm already right before God. I'll please God on my own merit. I, I see no need for God for salvation. Look, there's no greater, to me, there was no greater uh, picture of that than my, my sister. I've told you many times about my sister, who, by the way, someone uh, told me, I, I've never mentioned how she's done. She, she has come to faith. But I'll tell you what happened. I was sharing Christ with my mom, my dad, and my sister way back when, when I first came to be, believe in, in San Diego where my sister lived. And she got so mad at me, which <laughs> was pretty typical. <laughs> I, was a, I, was not a, I was really a spoiled, rotten kid, really bad. And I was a brat. And she was so much nicer than me. And here I am telling my sister how to live. Ooh, that didn't go over very well. And she told me to get out of her house. My dad said, calm down, Joan. He's just telling us what he believes in. And she says, well, I don't want to hear it anymore. Who is he? <laughs> she was right. Who is he to tell me? She was right. I was, a, I was a rascal. I was a rascal. But because she thought that she was already right with God on her own, or worse, having absolutely no need for him, so she did kick me out of her house, asked me never to speak about Christ again to her, and but she couldn't stop me from praying for her. On the way home, I, I remember crying and, and pulling off the side of the five freeway as I was going back north. And I asked the Lord, Lord, I'll be obedient to my sister in that respect, but 
you bring someone into her life that impacts her. I don't care how she comes to Christ, just that she comes to Christ. And sure enough, all of a sudden, some lady friends of my, my sister started hanging, were hanging around with her. We became believers. They told her about it. She ended up going to their church. She gave her life to Christ, her and her, her husband, and, their, and not the whole family yet. But nonetheless, she came to trust in Christ. But she was one of those people that believed that she was already right. You see, because of most Jews thought that they satisfied God by their nationality or their good works, Therefore, they felt no need for the gospel of God's grace. They felt no need for faith. They already had it. They already belonged, they felt, to God's family because of their earthly family. And so, in so doing, verse 32, they stumbled over the stumbling stone who is none other than Jesus Christ. So Paul teaches clearly anything apart from faith is meaningless with God. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. And it's faith in Christ and Christ alone that saves you, period. Sometime before the book of Romans, Paul wrote in, in, in the church, to the church at Corinth. He says, the, the Jews ask for a sign. The Greeks, they search for wisdom. But we, Paul says, we, the apostles, we preach Christ crucified. That's what I want to present to us. To the Jews, Christ crucified was a stumbling block, Paul wrote in Corinth. To the Gentiles, Christ became foolishness. Which is he to you? This morning, which is he to you? Foolishness, stumbling block, or your Savior? If you feel like you give your life to Christ, you'll look like a fool, or you'll become a hypocrite, because you see so many in the church, those quote-unquote religious folks who are hypocritical. I'm preaching to you and me right now who are believers. Don't allow people to see us out there compromising what we believe and, and make fun of our Savior because of our actions. Or are you a person who doesn't wish to stop all the fun up? Listen, I, I'm 75 and I still remember back when I was in Hawaii before I came to Christ. And I used to, I used to, I, I don't know if anybody had more fun. I'm sure there are. But by goodness, I had, not by goodness, by badness, I had fun. <laughs> I, I did not want to give that up. That was one of the hardest things for me to try to give up, was the fun that I was having. The excitement, people I hung around with, and so I stumbled over Christ. Really, I, I don't think I stumbled over him, I jumped over him. I just didn't want him at that time. I said to myself and to those who were trying to lead me to Christ, say, look, look, I, I'm going to wait for a more opportune moment. I'm young, I'm, I've got a lot going on, let me come to Christ when I'm older. I heard of a message given by Bobby Richardson, who was a former baseball player with the New York Yankees. He was a second baseman, an all-star player. He gave a chapel service to the guys, and he said, because of the X factor of de death, you do not have a more opportune time than right now. It's, it's 9.59 by the clock on the ball back there, and you and I are not guaranteed 10 o'clock. What we have is right now, this time, right now. Right now to make a decision for Christ. Which is it? 
Which is it? Will you come to Him? In verse 33 it says, Without faith in Christ you will be left disappointed. I can, I can guarantee you that's true, but I can't guarantee it where you can see it. I can just tell you what Scripture has to say. Until you believe, and when you then believe, you will never be disappointed. Not, not eternally. Not eternally. Maybe here on this earth, maybe you'll go through deep waters. All of us do. I, I am right now. Deep, deep waters. God didn't guarantee that I wasn't going to go through trials. He just promised me that I will not be disappointed in my faith. Why did they stumble over Christ? Well, Peter tells us. Peter was the one that denied our Lord three times when, when the Lord was on trial. And Peter wrote these words. It's contained in Scripture. Behold, he quotes what we just quoted out of Romans 9. I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, that the person who believes in this cornerstone, that believes in Christ, will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for those of you who believe. But for those who do not believe, for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumbled because they were disobedient. Disobedient to what? Peter writes, they were disobedient to the very word of God. This is why we preach to you Christ and Him crucified, just as Paul said. No tricks, no gadgets, nothing about this church is, is, is holy. This is what is holy. The word of God and our Savior. Our denomination, which we don't have one, is meaningless. Your faith in Christ is everything to you. And so verse 33 ends with this statement. The one who trusts or believes in Christ will never be put to shame, embarrassed, or disappointed, depending upon the version of the Bible that you have, whether it's King James or New American Standard. Some people are embarrassed to admit that they're a believer. They feel ashamed. I mean, if, if everyone knew that I was a believer, what would those I'm doing business with think of me? What does it matter? The question isn't what will they think of you. The question is, what will he think of you? I've chosen not to deny my Lord no matter where I walk or no matter who I walk with anymore. The Bible promises that if you and I put our faith and trust and confidence in Christ, we will never be embarrassed, we will never be ashamed, we will never be disappointed in the eternal outcome. Doesn't mean that nothing harmful will ever come your way. That's not... I can testify to that. Nothing difficult. Randy and I can testify to things like that. No, you come to Christ as your Lord and Savior. And He will promise you that you will never be disappointed in eternal things. Uh, Father, would you please bless us? And would you take this time and, and Father, uh, allow us to... Uh, just really examine and see what, what it is needed in our lives, Father, to be right with you. And what does it mean, Father, to walk with this day forward in integrity? And Father, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, please, Father, don't let them leave here without asking you into their lives, asking you to forgive them of their sin, asking you to make them into the type of person that you've created them to be anyways. 
Please, Father, make this a very special morning in all of our lives, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.